0: You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good evening, everybody. It's great to see you. Those of you that are new to MCC and returning, it's always good to see you all, and I hope that you feel very welcome tonight. I am so excited about Christmas services coming up Uh, two weeks from this Wednesday night. This week is midweek on Wednesday. Two weeks out, on the 15th, we'll be having our midweek Christmas program. It's the first one that we've ever had on a Wednesday night with midweek. All of the students are preparing for that, so I hope that you'll be part of that. But it's Christmas weekend that I'm looking the most forward to. We have a special opportunity this year. Good Friday, or Good Friday, I've been calling it Good Friday the whole season. Christmas Eve, how many of you have been to a Christmas Eve service here at MCC? I encourage those of you who haven't to make it out at 6 or 8 on Christmas Eve. But Christmas Day, Christmas is on a Saturday this year. Christmas Day, we're going to gather here at 5.30. I know that morning's busy at home with kids and opening gifts and making sure Santa made a stop there. But that evening, especially for those of you that aren't traveling this year that are going to be home, I would love for you to be right here with us that night at 530 for worship, and then we're going to have a home-cooked meal right after the service where we can eat together, and I need to know that you're coming to that. If that fits in your plans, on the back of that Get Connected card, you can let us know so that we've got plenty prepared for you, and then the Sunday, right there that weekend, Sunday morning at 1030, we'll be coming back to celebrate again um, our Savior that's been born. Well, grab your Bible, and let's turn two places tonight. The first place I want you to find is Matthew chapter 1. Matthew, the first book there in your New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, and hold your place there. Stick your uh, Get Connected card in there for later, and then go just a couple books over to the Gospel of John chapter 14, John chapter 14. Now if you're new to this series, this is week two, and what we're looking at here is we're looking at the return of Christ right alongside of his first coming to the earth. And this weekend, we're going to look at the reality that what God promised in his second coming, we need to place our trust in that. In fact, the second coming of Christ brings a lot of different emotions and thoughts. How many get uncomfortable just thinking about the Armageddon, right? Or, or those last days in the tribulation, those, those difficult times. Some of those, just the, the subject matter, the mark of the beast. Uh, sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. Uh, will names be read? will stories be told as as the lamb's book of life is is open at that final day? Uh, for some, that emotion of, of disappointment uh, some are expecting their first child. Uh, just just imagine the thrill of of a couple just graduating college and getting married, ex- expecting their first child, and the thought of Jesus' return may may be somewhat disappointing. They won't be able to hold that child to enjoy that season that they've looked so forward to in their life. Maybe for some of us, it's denial. It's denial. Just just thinking about it, we want to put it off. We want to pretend that it isn't going to happen and just go on with our, our life. But how does God want us to view Jesus' return? Well, Jesus put it this way in John chapter 14, verse 1. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust God. Trust me. And then in verse 4, he says those infamous words, I'm coming back for you. God wants us to trust his promises. Now, what parent in here has had to deal with all of the questions that a child asks, right? I've had uh, those questions asked at my house over the years. Uh, Maybe you've had questions lately. You see all of these support dogs and and animals on airplanes now and in Walmart. Maybe your kids are asking, when am I going to get my support dog, right? When am I going to get my support monkey, as some have said in the past, right? When will I get that? Daddy, why do you have more hair on your back than you have on your head? I, I heard that question gets asked all the time at Brandon Dickerson's house. I know one of the questions in our home when uh, my kids watch their papa who's here tonight go and unlock his car with the clicker, he only clicks it once. And he gets in on his side, and then Meemaw has to stand out in the cold waiting for him to realize that he needs to let her in the car. And the kids say, why does Papaw do that to Meemaw all the time? Why does she have to yell at him to get him to unlock the car? Well, all of these questions the kids ask us, they all pale to the one question that every child asks on a trip. And that's what, parents? parents. Yeah, right. How much longer? How much longer until we get there how much further and it's one of those impossible questions we we speak in time and distance just 250 more miles right just just three more hours just three more hours and just within minutes it's when will we get there again how much Longer and we realize all of a sudden. Well, they've got their iPad in front of them So we we help them understand time and distance and we say just keep watching the Grinch four more times And when you've watched it the fourth time well, then we're gonna be there And so you get them to start watching it over and over again, but in desperation in desperation how many of us have said just trust me, right? Just trust me. Just lean back and relax I'll do the driving you do the movie watching, you do the trusting. And we mean it when we say this. We don't want our kids to worry about the details, and we sure don't want them worrying us, worrying us about them the entire trip. Well, when it comes to Jesus' return, Jesus has said the same thing to his disciples, which often were like, were often like young children. In, in John chapter 13, verse 36, When it came to Jesus' return, he said the same thing just prior to his crucifixion. He says, where I'm going, you can't follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter, Peter piped up, well, I wanna go now. Why can't we go with you now? And that's when Jesus gives us this response in John 14, when he says, look, Peter, don't let your heart be troubled. You've trusted God the last three years. You've trusted me. And, and then he goes on and he says, in my father's house are many rooms. Were it not so, I, I would have told you, but, but I'm going there now. I'm going there now. You, you can't come right now, but I'm going there now to prepare a place for you. But I will come back for you that you too may be where I am. All of Jesus' words about his return, then, can be reduced to just two, right? Trust me. Trust Trust him. Now, here's the first reality that Jesus is unpacking for us here in John 14, and that's this, fear of Christ's return. Fear of Christ's return is the result of this. I believe this with all my heart. Fear of Christ's return boils down to this. It boils down to unexplored trust. In our lives to so think about that unexplored trust how do you learn to trust someone and what they say well you, you learn that through experiences right through trusting them with a the little thing and, and then when they prove themselves right you trust them with the next thing it's how Jesus begins his response to the disciples about his departure he addresses their their fear fears always a response to God. And in, in fact, Proverbs says that the fear of God's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One, knowledge of the Holy One, trusting Him, spending time with Him, doing the things that He has said that we do and, and trust Him. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And this is where I want us to go back to Matthew. Chapter 1 for a minute. Let's go back and let's look at Christ's first arrival. When Joseph, who was engaged to Mary, the mother of Jesus, do you remember? Remember when he found out that this young teenage virgin that he was engaged to be married to, betrothed to, it was an arranged marriage. They meet, and he finds out that she's already pregnant. He knows with all certainty He's not been with her. They've never been alone. He knows that the child is not his. His first response, to walk. To say, hey, let's just break this off quietly. I'll go my way and you go yours. What's your first response? When it comes to thinking about the second arrival, of Christ. For some in this room, it's great anticipation. Some of us have lived life here long enough. That we're ready. We're ready for that time when the, the eastern sky splits open or, or or when he comes for us in the quietness of our rest. We're ready. This body that we've lived in is, is starting to break down, and we're ready for version 2.0, right? The the new updated version. But I don't know that it's all about our age that helps us anticipate his return as much as it is our trust. Uh, Some of you in this room have seen him move and work through all kinds of of circumstances, broken hips, the loss of, of a husband, a spouse. You've gone through times with your children like we're beginning to go through where you realize that a child is never too old for you to worry about them or, or to hurt when they hurt. And, and you've experienced all of these things, and you've leaned on God, you've seen him move, you've seen him work through all these circumstances, you chose to trust him through all of those things, and now, finally, finally, you're ready to trust him with eternity. Well, for Joseph, the angel addressed his fear head on in verse 20 of Matthew 1. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, I want us to look underneath the obvious of what the angel's saying there. I I, I think that for years I've looked at this at just that surface level, right? Joseph, Joseph, God wants you to do this. I'm telling you, everything's okay. In fact, this is God. But, but I want you to back up just a little bit and look a little bit further. Listen to what he's saying to Joseph's heart. Joseph, I know you're afraid. I know you're afraid, but... But I want you to look at what's going on here. Is it possible? Is it possible that what God's doing inside of Mary is, is so important? You remember, you remember your parents and your grandparents, that they've spoken for generations about this Messiah, uh, this Son of Man, the Son of God that's going to come. What's going on here isn't just a teenage pregnancy, but it's God. It's the Holy Spirit doing something that that no one else could do. You see, it makes a difference. In verse 24, it says, Joseph did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph trusted all the way through the engagement, all the way through those first months of their marriage, until God did what he had promised. And just as it is with his first arrival, the return of Christ, it isn't some riddle to be solved. It isn't some code to be broken. But it's a day to look forward to. It's a day to be anticipated. Anticipated with growing trust. Growing trust in God. One of the things that we often share with our girls on those long drives on vacation are, are some of the details of the things that are awaiting them there. Uh, I remember the first few trips to Disney. Uh, we told them about the heated pools. We went in February. When it's cold here and we told them where we're going the pools are going to be warm a lot warmer than the baptistry is sometimes we bring them up here swimming in the baptistry every once in a while but there's going to be steam coming off of those you're going to get to swim at night right we we tell them those things we we tell them about the fire that we're going to have in the fireplace at the cabin in gatlinburg while while everybody's thinking about the cold weather outside we have them look forward to what it's going to be like There we we talk about the horses that we'll see at the Dixie Stampede In John 14, Jesus does the very same thing. He tells us what awaits us He says there'll be many rooms There will be many rooms in my father's house now Why does Jesus mention many rooms? What does the size of heaven matter at this point? because one of our fears one of the things that we experience while we're here on this earth is, is that idea of being excluded so many times. Uh, I mean, how many of us have walked up to a, a lunch table when we were younger, or even today walk up to the lunch table, and, and we see that there's, there's no room for us there? M- maybe you've volunteered, you want to be part of a club or, or a group, and, and someone never will introduce you. or. Sign you up or give you the papers to be Part of that and so you get the message. I I don't want you there We don't need your type Well, jesus knew the sound of these words He was still in mary's womb when the innkeeper said what? There's no room for you Here as jesus grew and remember when he preached at his hometown at his home church They ran him out of town Uh, They didn't have room for him there in their town. Uh, When he was placed on the cross, the, the message couldn't have been louder. We have no room for you here, Jesus, in this world. Right? We don't have room for you. And so Jesus makes a big deal today. For those who do trust him, he makes room for you He gives us this great promise. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Isn't that a promise that assures, that affirms, that makes us look forward to? Well, in verse 2, Jesus uses an important word after describing the many words. He says, I'm going to prepare. Uh, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. This assumes that Jesus knows exactly what you need. Jesus is letting us know that all, all of the preparations for his return are being made, and he's making them personally. He's making them personally. When Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he was going to prepare a place. And part of that preparation was what? Going to the cross. You see, the first part of Jesus' preparation of heaven for me and you began with him taking on our sins to the cross. When he said, I'm going to prepare a place, he went out to Golgotha, to Calvary, where he was nailed to a cross. That, that was part of his preparation, taking the blow of death. Remember, sin leads to death. Well, that's what happened. That's what had to happen in order for heaven to be prepared for us, rising from the dead on the third day, so that we don't have to go to the grave. Our last breath here is our first breath in heaven. Oh, our body does. This earthly shell. To be away from the body is what the gospel writer said to be at home with the Lord. Doesn't that take some of the fear, the sting? The worry of death away, it does for me. He's prepared heaven for us. Heaven's not a holdover place. It's not purgatory as some teach, but in the literal presence of God the Father where there are streets of gold as pure as glass. Can you imagine that fine of a gold that it's clear as glass? Solid pearl gates. A place where you don't have to worry about being bored or Or tired. Sitting down to a meal that you don't enjoy. I, I can't imagine the banquet being anything but the, but the best. A place where we'll recognize each other. And we will be recognizable. We'll remember each other's names. The Bible says no more tears. No more disease. Light bulbs that don't burn out. Where the sun and the moon no longer are needed. Because the glory of God lights up the place. But there's still, there's still that element of wonder. And that's what Jesus leads us to next in his promise. He says, you've trusted God. You've trusted me. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to make the preparations myself. I'm going to the cross, right? I'm going to take on your sins. I'm going to make sure that you can be where I am. Eyewitnesses heard the archangel's announcement In Acts 1, right, the same Jesus who was crucified has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go. And so in verse 3 of John 14, Jesus confirms his promise by saying, Look, I will come back, and I will take you to be with me that you too may be where I'm going. How many of you have heard of the Titanic? I I know some of that's getting beyond us here. Thank you. I'm glad that you've heard of that. I was reminded of that when I was thinking about our trips to Gatlinburg. We went down and we we got on uh, this, or got in this building that was built like the Titanic. We each took one of the cards off the wall where we became one of the, uh, the, the people on the boat. It was really interesting because I drew the card that was of the minister that survived the the boat sinking. It, it, it was really interesting. And Olivia, weren't you the daughter of that? Pre- you don't even remember, do you? Yeah, she was. Your mother says you were, right? Okay. So, but George Tulloch is a guy that that he was into finding uh, ships that were that had sunk to the ocean floor. And and back in the eighties, early nineties, he set out to find the Titanic on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. And after a lot of searching and a lot of money spent, he found it. And he had one of those little submarine things, one of those little one-man things that he could go down two miles deep in the ocean. And he went down there, and he found jewelry. He found the silverware and plates. He found a lot of things that were on the Titanic. But over to the side was the hull of the ship, the, the front of the ship. And it had broken off. And it was just a few hundred feet away from the rest of the ship. And he decided that he wanted to rescue that piece. He wanted to salvage that piece. And and so he went down with his equipment. He brought it up to the surface. And about that time, a storm was surging. And before he could get it safely attached to the ship and and take it back to shore, that piece broke off and fell to the bottom of the ocean. He, He was so disappointed. But the story says that he got back in his little submarine and he went down there and he attached a piece of steel to that iron hull. and on that piece of steel he wrote these words i'm coming back and he signed it george tolick and then they went back to shore where they regrouped two years later two years later he went back he went back down those two and a half miles and he retrieved he took that piece of hull back to the shore. He came back for that piece. Now, when you think about it, he didn't need to worry about a lot of people stealing that piece of the hull, right? Who, who else has the equipment? Who else has the means and the, the resources to do that? Who would want it? Who would want just a piece of old, rusty iron? It's two and a half miles from the surface of the Atlantic. It's a piece of junk. Few would make it worth coming back for, yet he did. There's great warmth in Jesus' words when he says, don't be troubled, trust me. Now you can hear the tenderness in his voice when when he says, I'm preparing a place for you, and, and if I prepare a place for you, and then his voice shifts just slightly. The kindness continues, but it's spiked with this conviction if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back for you. But do you ever wonder why? Well, why, why would he come back? Why would he want to? Uh, are we really worth the effort? We, we try to do good things, but, but we really don't. We give up so easy. We've done nothing to deserve his return. Why would he go to such effort? But again, God has his reasons. And we go back to the first arrival of Christ 2,000 years ago when God himself entered the murky waters of of this world that we live in in search of his kids. And on all of us who would allow him to do so, he, he lays his claim, Brenda, I'll come back for you. Julie, I'll come back for you. David. I will come back for you. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour of his return. But what we do have is his promise backed by his action in sending Jesus the first time. We have faith. We have faith that he's prepared a place. And at the right time, he'll return so that we can be where he is. Now it's up to us to to anticipate that, to look forward to, to prepare for his return. And that's the one big assumption that we've made this weekend and that we haven't spoken about. And that is, are we? Are we anticipating it? Are we watching patiently, expectantly for the return of Christ? You see, the reality is is most of us don't give it a thought. We don't give the return of Christ a thought these days until, until we make it the subject of a sermon series or until something happens in the world or in our life that makes us recognize our mortality, right? Last December I spent a week wondering. Myself, people who've been diagnosed with cancer this year, you you wonder. uh, A relationship that spiraled out of control and a family member suffers a heart attack, we, we wake up one morning and, and we realize we're 50 years old, then 70, then 80, 90 years old, and we wonder how much this gift of life is going to keep giving. For some of us, the separation brought by death this year, it has us looking forward to his return so that we can be reunited, so that we can, we can pick up where we left off with loved ones. Maybe this weekend, just talking about it, has gotten you thinking the last couple weeks about how we should look forward to his return. And that's the fourth reality that Jesus gives us in John 14, verse 4. And that is, it's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. It's our responsibility to prepare for his return by accepting his salvation. By accepting his word I remember at the age of 10 sitting where Nick is sitting tonight with his son it was the third or fourth row in our church up in Scottsburg where I spent my middle school and high school years I've told you the story over and over again I'll never forget it week after week I stood at decision time right I'd stand there and and I would cry because I wanted so badly, something inside of me just had been tugging at me that I wanted to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I wanted to be certain that heaven was a reality for me, but I hadn't talked to my parents. I hadn't talked to the preacher. I wasn't for sure about all of that. And so week after week, I I stood there feeling that, that need to, take responsibility and and to take action, take that next step. And finally, finally, one Sunday morning, I I made it out of that pew, and I walked three rows, right, uh, to the front. And I stood there, and, and I accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord of my life, and I was baptized in a baptismal very much like this one. And the relief that came over me until I realized I only had one pair of underwear And then after church, I had to sit in my wet underwear when we went out to celebrate. Bring change of clothes with you when you do this. But the the point is, is that that step was the most important step that I could make in preparing for Christ's return. It was the first step and it was the most important step because I needed to be prepared to face him when that day comes. And so I took that responsibility. And from that day forward, from that day forward as as I grew older and for the last 43 years, I faced the separation that death brings when Jesus came for my grandparents. So over the years, four grandparents that, that have gone on to heaven. I, I've experienced the loss of, of really good friends to, to cancer and to other disease and to accidents, death. I've experienced the loss of my father-in-law 10, year, 11 years ago that was, that was absolutely devastating. The, the loss of a child in between Olivia and Emma through a miscarriage. And through all of those things, even in facing my own mortality, the fear is not the focus. It slowly became trust. Trust in God, trust in Jesus, trusting what he's promises, backed by what he's done and what he says he'll do. Uh, The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, I know who I have believed in, and I'm persuaded that he is able to guard that, to keep that which I've committed to him. He's able to guard me. He's able to guard my soul until that day of his return. And so what about you? What about you? Will you trust him and take him at his promises and anticipate his return. Not dread it, not be afraid of it, not dismiss it and live life without it, but will you anticipate it? Will you prepare for it by professing your belief and your trust in him? Will you surrender to him in baptism? And if you have, then great, I, I celebrate with you. But if you haven't, well, I encourage you. I encourage you, now's the time to do that. Now's the time to prepare to come and, and to begin building your life on his great promises, the greatest of which is that he'll come for you and for me. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your word and to live in such a time as this when, we, when we've seen many, many signs just as generations before us have. And and we know that every day is one day closer to your return. Where we've seen so many faithful over the last year, we've seen you come for them. We've seen them, some suffer with disease before they went. For others, it was in the quietness of their rest that you came. Some, it was sitting at the breakfast table anticipating what's ahead father it's brought us to this point tonight of recognizing that we too each one of us regardless of our age and experience we need to look forward to that day when you come for us individually or when you come for us as a group father help us to not be fearful help us to not put it off but help us to look forward to it because Because we've trusted in your promises. Because we've surrendered our life to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If I can help you take your next step, I'd love to meet you down front as we sing.